Welcome to the Library Safety, Service, and Security Podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. This podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0, and you can find Library 2.0, which is founded by Steve Hargadon at www.library20.com. My topic for this half hour is let's put the B, as in Bravo, back into diversity. And I went to a webinar that I did as part of a panel member for HR Daily Advisor, which is an organization that is based on the East Coast, and they do a lot of webinars and programs and training for not only leaders and managers and supervisors, department heads, but also specifically for HR people as well. So I was on a panel with two other folks, and we talked uh, this past week about DEIB, and I had never heard the B for DEIB. I'd heard of, of course, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but the B is belonging. And I think that's such a great phrase. And I've been thinking about the conversations that we had as part of our, our work in, in the panel discussion. And, and we had a pre-meeting where we talked about what we're going to talk about. And we just had such a great conversation yesterday in the panel with the people that we were uh, with online, I think about 100 or so, uh, talking about this idea of wh- where diversity works not only from an HR perspective, but from a leadership perspective as well. And I'm really just fascinated by the uh, way that that belonging has become part of the DEI conversation. So, of course, when you talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, a big part of inclusion is making sure people feel valued, appreciated, supported, that we don't have have, uh, discrimination, we don't have retaliation, that the phrase inclusion means that people are not exposed to microaggressions, they're not exposed to mistreatment by taxpayers, patrons, customers, uh, colleagues, bosses, vendors, that type of thing. But I, I really like the idea of belongingness to say, not only as part of the diversity conversation, but as part of the new employee conversation when we bring people into the library world. And this idea of belonging, to me, especially goes back to how we prepare our organizations for new people coming in so that they succeed and that we create a sense of, of stability and welcomeness and the idea that we want to make people glad that they chose to work there. There's lots of places people can work. There's lots of choices, not always a million choices in the library world for career positions, of course, but there's lots of things people can do, especially at the entry-level positions in this country. And we want people to be excited to get out of bed and roll into work and to do the work that we're asking to do to serve our patrons. And so this idea of, of welcoming and belonging and onboarding and bringing people in to succeed early and to train people, not only the, the new employees, the new, the new hires, but also the rest of our supervisors, managers, and to be supportive at the employee level as well so that people feel that they are connected and welcome to the organization. So think about this for a second. You may be one of the rare library people who is an extrovert. I am an introvert trapped in an extrovert's profession, so I don't know what extroverts are all about other than the ones that I see in my life and in my work. But if you're an extrovert coming into a new organization, a brand new position, even coming over from another library in the same town or the same community or even the same city or region or state, is not as much of a challenge, obviously, as it is when you're an introvert. When you're an extrovert, you feed off people, you get energy from them, you feel good about the encounters, and that you get this sense of, of connection fairly early. When you're an introvert, you feel nervous and shy and, and sometimes embarrassed that, that you don't fit in, 
and that you feel like you don't want to participate in the conversation sometimes because you don't want to say or do the wrong thing. And so that really goes back to the DEI piece as well. So if you're a person of color, female, um, um, sexual orientation, something like that is different than everybody else, it's easy to feel that you stand out and not in a good way. It's easy to feel that you are, are, are being looked at by everybody around you as not being the same as the rest of the homogenized group. And so that's where DEI has such a powerful stake in, in this sense of belonging, that everybody can belong in our organization. There's room for you. There's room for your specialty of, of work, the, your professional skills and education and certifications experiences. But there's also room for your personality. There's room for the way that your personality comes through and how you dress and talk and walk and eat and, and, and interact with people in a way that's, that's inclusive and it's, it's welcoming and it's, it's connected to the idea that we are serving people in our community that have the similar diverse backgrounds. And so I think about how some organizations sometimes can do a not such a great job of bringing people on board once they've done a really good job of the hiring process. And so we've done resume review and application discussion, and, and we've done panel interviews. And we've had people in multiple times to talk about uh, their skills and experience and background for our position. We've had uh, groups of, of uh, applicants come through, and we pick the best of the best to come and work in our organization. We make sure we check all the boxes in terms of, of legality and fair questions and fair processes for the hiring um, um, uh, approach. And then we bring them on board. It's like, well, there's the restroom. There's the break room. Here's your where you fill out your time card. Uh, we'll get you a, a, um, a password and an email address. And uh, your supervisor will give you a sense of how you uh, need to do this job. And, and HR walks away. I'm not saying every organization does that. And certainly, uh, a lot of libraries I have seen have a real sense, a real touch of professionalism when it comes to the onboarding process, to the bringing people in so that they are prepared to succeed on day one and that they don't feel left out in the cold. They don't feel uh, overwhelmed and, and underappreciated and, and things are not explained to them that they have to figure out kind of on the way and, and, and on the fly by talking to other people. So that there are welcoming activities. There, there's a welcoming process that people come into the organization and, and are maybe apprehensive about their encounters with strangers that they're going to have to work with for a, a span of time. They're uh, apprehensive and anxious about the facility itself, the, the work culture, the policies, procedures, of which there are always thousands and many. There are, are apprehensions about, can I do this job successfully? Will I be able to balance the work demands with my personal life? Will I be able to balance the work demands of dealing with patrons, which can be challenging, of course, uh, along with the challenges of working for my boss, uh, getting his or her idiosyncrasies under my belt and figuring out what he or she needs. Um, there are challenges about working with coworkers. Uh, people that have been in the library world for perhaps a long time and are not as patient as other employees or other supervisors might be about how we bring people on board in a highly technical, sometimes a highly complex job and collection of job duties. So when I look at DEI and then the B, belonging, I think it's such a broad brush. And I'm just so fascinated by the possibilities here of not only do we look at the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion piece of this, but the, but the sense of, of bringing people into the organization so that they're confident and that they have future success and really so that they stay. 
This concern that we have in the world that people leave a job fairly early into it, where they go, this is not for me. They leave a job after three months or six months or right before their probation period comes up. Maybe it's six months or one year probation. Maybe once they pass probation, their work habits and work approach changes from being much more enthusiastic before probation because they're worried about being let go. Uh, and then after they, they pass probation, they sort of dial it down or check out. And that may be because of the work culture, maybe how they're treated as by the supervisors, treated by other employees. The job is not what they expected. So how do we, especially as leaders in the library and also as, as fellow employees, coworkers, how do we create a sense of, of culture, a sense of welcoming, a sense of, of, of integration of our policies and procedures and expectations with the personal part of, of work, which is that we have fun and that we enjoy each other and that we look at what we're doing on behalf of the community as a challenge, but, but a fun one. And that we look at what we're doing on behalf of the community as helping each other deal with those challenging patrons, helping each other deal with challenging situations involving our elected officials or appointed officials or boards or whoever it happens to be. So I, I like the sense that especially when we hire more than one person together to come in on in a in a let's say we're doing a hiring where we bring in three four people into the library for various positions that they come in together that they are part of a of an early team um, concentration where we put them together for orientation and onboarding and where they they work with each other and and ex express things with each other in confidence that they can feel confident that they say this person is my my you know we used to call it in college my study buddy uh, the person that is is here to be successful i can help them be successful and they can help me be successful it's not just me against the world it's not just me against the the the, the toughness of the position, the challenges of the patron interactions, the challenges of working with, with new bosses, the shift work, the things you have to do on the weekends and, and things like that, which make library, library work more, more difficult. But this idea that we bring people in and say, okay, you're the, our newest, um, best and brightest employees. You come in, we want you to, to go through an orientation process together. We want you to work the same shifts together. We want you to be in the same vicinity as each other so you feel connected and that you feel like there is a, a um, uh, someone that you can talk to and rely on that's not necessarily somebody who's been here 20 years, but someone who's been here two days like you. When I look at successful organizations, it, it's not about always the big things, those are certainly important, but it's about a lot of the little things, the collection of the small things we do as a part of the work culture uh, to be supportive, how we use ritual and rewards and celebration and ceremony, how we catch people doing things right, how we, we catch people in a public way, our employees doing things right, and we reward them in front of other people, other employees to know that we value expertise here. We value, we value um, skills here. We value creative thinking here that's on behalf of our organization, on behalf of the patron. It's those things I just think are so, so important when I look at what, how we define this, this, this concept of belonging. So DEI is certainly important, and I have trained and taught on DEI for many decades. I have a number of colleagues around this country who I, I, I get good, good uh, advice and information from. If you're uh, um, looking at some of the Library 2.0 programs we've done, we've done a great DEI uh, program with Maurice Coleman. Maurice is a good friend of mine and a, and a, a library professional in Maryland, uh, my old home, home state. 
And I have some other colleagues that we're going to bring on board uh, in the coming months to do some uh, diversity-related uh, webinars for Library 2.0. And I really value what they can do that I cannot do. And the, the, the piece of the DEI conversation which they bring, which I um, do not have, and, and that's very important to me to have a sense of choice and, and different options, opinions, ideas, best practices to show you as what, how we look at this subject. So think about what you do in your organization to bring people into your library world, part-time employees, full-time employees, long-time employees in the library profession but have come from another place, people that are fresh out of school or fresh out of high school or fresh out of uh, graduate studies program in library uh, um, um, service. And as information professionals, do we make certain assumptions about what people know or don't know about how to work in a public contact, high human contact, transactional type of a job? They may have lots of confidence in their research and, and uh, reference uh, skills, but perhaps not so much in the customer service and patron service skills, especially for those patrons, which I've been talking about for 20 years, that, that can be challenging. What do we do as an organization to make it so much more likely that this person will like the job, succeed in the job? help us recruit and bring other people into the profession, help us grow the profession, help us grow our library, help us expand the level of services and the types of services and programs and material and content and collections that we bring into communities because not only are they a fresh set of eyes and ears about content and, and, and what can be brought into the library programs and material, but also that they uh, reflect the diversity of our communities as well. And so when I look at some of the things that we talked about in this HR, uh, daily HR advisor webinar, one of the things that, that came up, which is a phrase you may have heard, especially if you were a new leader in library work or you're a new supervisor, you may have heard the phrase servant leadership. And that's a, that's a kind of a buzzword, kind of a um, phrase that comes into how we serve the people that work for us as leaders. And we were talking about a couple of the connotations that servant, servant leadership has, which is sometimes it's sort of aimed, or it seems to be aimed, at least from our perspective and the way I, I was talking about with my colleagues, and I agree, is it's aimed at the highest levels in the organization, but not to everybody else. Can you be a servant leader as a frontline employee? Yes, you can serve other people that work not necessarily for you, if you're not a supervisor, but that work with you. Can you serve the needs of your organization? Yes. And so the, the phrase servant leadership has a has a lot of directions that you can go, and I think it'd be it can be misconstrued by people that, that don't necessarily understand what it is. I don't always understand what it is. Uh, when I came from California, I, I worked uh, for a psychology practice as the, as the president of a psychology practice, and the, and the head of the practice was a, a longtime um, a church official, and he became a bishop uh, in the church, a bishop or a, um, a minister or a deacon, I can't remember, um, but he went on to become a, a practitioner of servant leadership from a spiritual perspective, from a, from a religious perspective. He would go to organizations, and, and part of the, the intervention from a consulting perspective was not only the work, but the spiritual side as well, which, you know, that's certainly a niche that, that some people fill when they look at the concept of servant leadership. When I look at servant leadership, I think what I was trying to say with my colleagues in the panel is, how do we 
spread and broaden the concept to the point where it's not just the directors, it's not just the department heads, it's not just the, the people that have been leaders there for a long time, but everybody can participate not only in receiving leadership support and 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 the value of the organization to the people that, that it's coming from the leaders, but also that it's reflected. Servant leadership is reflected from the staff at every level back to our service to each other and to service to the patrons. So I've talked about this before. When you look at a service organization, we can serve each other really well, but not serve the patron, and so in which case the patron's miserable and complains. We can serve the patrons really well, in which case they're happy, community's happy, library board's happy, elected officials are happy, but not serve each other, in which case people leave, they're miserable, they quit. We cannot serve the patrons and not serve each other, which is the worst of all worlds, certainly. People quit and the patrons are unhappy and the community's unhappy. And also we can say, how do we serve best possible world? We serve each other and we serve the patrons so that people want to stay and grow in the job and also the community likes and supports and defends what we do. So think about, let, let that phrase of servant leadership kind of roll around in your head a little bit. Look at some definitions online and see what it means to you. See if you've heard this spiritual connection to it as I have, if that's one way that it was explained to you. How do you define what it is and not only that as especially as a leader in the organization how do you put it into practice in a way that includes and we're back to inclusion and and belonging everybody everybody that that we work with one of the other things we talked about in this panel was was the power of language especially with employees when we are talking to people uh, that work for us that that it's easy sometimes to get caught up in buzzwords and social media cliches and platitudes and things. And I mean, you see it at, at even the most basic level. You'll see, you know, especially around the concept of DEI, people say, we need to respect each other around here. We, we, need, we need more respect in the workplace. And you know, my colleagues and I were saying, yes, that's true, but what does that mean operationally? What does it mean behaviorally? What does it mean that we are going to do differently as an organization? What am I gonna do differently as a frontline or middle level, middle level supervisor, manager, or department director, or, or the director? What am I going to do to demonstrate how to treat people with respect in a physical way? What are the behaviors, the concrete actions that we can do? Because words like respect and, and dignity and, and communicate better, phrases like that, those are all abstracts. Now, obviously, we know what they mean, but they can be defined in different ways. And the concept of of, of language which is operational and concrete helps us get around labels, like we need to respect each other around here. Obviously, that's true, but what does it mean to do it? And act, act back into operational concrete behaviors. And so I always look at, at sometimes I'll go into libraries and I'll see these great motivational posters in the break room and in the staff rooms and things. You know about all us pulling the boat and the you know the pulling the oars to get the boat to go in the same direction, that kind of a thing. And you see these these you know platitude posters all over the place. Do employees pay attention to those things? Do employees care about that stuff, or do they care about what is actually done, not just posted up on a wall or or said in a way that seems sort of dismissive to the idea that that sounds great, but that's not what we do here. And so when I look at at the power of language, it's not about abstracts, it's about concrete, it's about actions. What do we need to keep doing because it's working? What should we stop doing because it's not a good idea? What should we start doing because it is a good idea? And especially as leaders, can we ask people in the organization what we need to keep or stop or start doing because quite frankly, they do the work. They know better than you do perhaps about what needs to keep, keep happening because it's good for 
the library business. It's good for the for the employees, good for the patrons. What needs to stop because it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money, it's a waste of energy, it's a non-value added activity. Or here are some ideas about what we should be doing, what we could what we could start doing because it's a good idea because it supports what we're trying to do here in a positive, cost-effective, beneficial way. And I think sometimes we get away from simple answers and simple truths and simple instructions. So when you say, for us, respect is defined as careful eye contact and respectful space and distance and not looking at phones and screens and, and, and paperwork when we're talking to people, including colleagues, bosses, and, and patrons. And respectful communication means that we don't argue about, about uh, politics and other things that, that and religion, things like that can make people angry in, in, in the organization. We use a professional face that we are respectful of people's opinions, especially from the patron side, even though we disagree, as long as they're not using hate speech or, or trying to threaten us or harm us. So those are definitions of behavioral, operational, concrete actions that are connected to, quote, being more respectful or, or, or using respect uh, as a two-way street in the organizations between patrons, between each other, between colleagues, between supervisors, between leaders, et cetera. So, I'm really interested in the power of words and, and what that means to make it actually happen. The other thing we talked about in this discussion is how we get through the belonging part of DEI is really um, something that's going to require perhaps a different set of skills that super, than supervisors currently have because it's going to require coaching. And coaching is not one of those skills that we – um, sort of get a, a grad school class or a college class or some one-day seminar, and that's good enough. Coaching typically is a skill that supervisors pick up on the job, pick up along the way, pick up based on their countless interactions with, with as a supervisor with employees that they're helping that are having personal and professional challenges in their life. The personal challenges, certainly we refer to our employee assistance program, things like that. But the professional challenges about attendance and service and attitude and conflict and interactions with people and performance and things that are related to deadlines and quality of work. Those are all things that require, uh, when there are discrepancies and deficiencies, coaching. Well, one of the things that one of my colleagues said on the panel was, does coaching have a negative uh, connotation to it? Is coaching perceived as punishment? Is coaching perceived as we have to coach up people? We have to coach up this employee because they're in, they're in danger of, of discipline or termination. Well, I, I think like other things in, in the business world, we can look at coaching and say it can be given a negative connotation. It can be perceived as punishment. It can be perceived as we are doing this to to hammer an employee and yet we let other employees get away with the same behavioral or, or performance issue, which is, which is not fair, of course. One way to look at coaching is to say, how do I help people feel better about the work that they're doing? And so I would argue that good supervisors, especially frontline supervisors, middle level managers and supervisors, should be coaching every day. Not a complicated sit in my office at, you know, in the little chair while I sit behind my big desk in the big chair and lecture you about what you need to do. But coaching is a is an adjustment. It's a fine-tuning. It's a tweak of the engine, which is the employee, to say, let me do something that lightens your load, that makes it easier for you. Let me give you a tip, an idea, a tool for your toolkit that makes it easier for you to do your job. Let me talk to you as, as part of coaching about some things that I have seen or heard that I'd like you to make some changes to, performance or behavior. And let me talk to you as a coach about some things which are bothering you which I need to do differently as a supervisor or that we need to do differently as an organization. I'm asking you to be honest with me 
about things that are making it difficult for you to do your job. So we certainly can look at coaching as part of, of a daily process. We can certainly look at coaching as part of uh, a way to correct performance or behavior issues. But how about we look at coaching as a way to help people grow in their jobs in terms of promotions? How about we help people um, uh, grow in their jobs in terms of, of opportunities, training, skill sets, education, certifications that they didn't think about perhaps they wanted to have or needed to have as part of their career, but you've talked to them about it and it becomes something that they want to pursue. Not every employee wants to promote, but some of them do, in which case we make that possible for them to get on a path where they can get to the next level if they want to. So part of coaching is about mentorship as well. When you think about DEI, can we use mentorship in people that are not represented as much in terms of race or gender or sexual orientation, whatever it happens to be in the organization, can we look to mentorship to say, this, this person here may feel disenfranchised, disconnected, um, not, not connected to the organization, but we can have this person mentored by somebody who shares the same demographic characteristics as them, sexual orientation, age, race, gender, whatever it happens to be, where they can say, look, I was in your situation as well. Um, I felt like an outsider looking in. Um, I felt like this place was not for me, but I learned how this organization operates. I learned to, to use my best advantage. I learned the, the power of my diversity, especially when it comes to the community, um, ser serving the community and, and being cognizant of their needs. And I will help mentor you through a, a, the process, especially in the earliest part of your employment here, so you feel like you can stay here, that you can be successful, and that you belong here just like anybody else belongs here. So it's interesting to me when I look at DEI and I hear the B added to it, belonging, it just has so many other connotations, so many other ways to think about the strength and power of that concept, not only for diversity, as I, I first heard it in, in, in our panel conversation, but, but also in just how we create that type of place where people want to stay and work and be successful for as long as they want to be there and for as long as, as they feel supported, um, 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 taken care of, valued, appreciated for the work that they do. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security podcast, Steve Hargadon from Library 2.0. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website. Encourage your colleagues to join up at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security podcast.